Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Matt Moore of the Action Network and Locked On NBA, and as you could guess, that means we're doing tiers. And Matt picked a really fun criteria this time. It's about how teams are performing relative to expectations, allowed us to get into a number of fascinating discussions and clarifications and everything else. Episode runs over an hour and is brought to you by... FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. I'll, of course, talk about that more later, but here's Matt Moore. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Always my favorite pod to do, Danny. You picked the criteria for this time. I really enjoyed doing it. It was more, in some ways, more parsing, and I think there can actually um, be more convincing this time than before, in part because high, medium, low expectations. We'll get into that a bit, but you want to set the table? Yeah, so I want to do, I think what's funny is we always kind of evaluate these teams in the season based off of expectations, whether we mean to or not, where you can have a really good record, but if you were expected to have a great record, you're a little bit of a disappointment, and you could be 500 versus you know when you were expected to be awesome, uh, and that's really disappointing, but if you were expected to be a bottom dweller, 500 is like, they had a really good season when it's like they were 500. Um, and so expectations really are the name of the game in sports in general, and to me, that's a, a lot of what I do is judging teams versus what you should expect of them based off of roster previous performance etc and so i want to do how are they doing versus those preseason expectations versus what we expected of them how are they performing and so what we kind of did and, and danny asked me for some follow-up on it as far as like how to structure it and so what, what i kind of did was we developed a basically like a likert scale where you know at the at the top end you're outperforming high expectations and at the bottom, you're underperforming low. So the medium here, like our average line, our X, uh, our X intercept would be you're meeting medium expectations. And uh, I have and a lot of based, I have a lot of teams there too. <laughs> and, and based off of that, uh, we've structured the, the the tiers accordingly. Yeah, and and I'm sure there will be some conversation about how do we define high expectations. And and worth noting, this is more as a regular season exercise. You know, we can't say, oh well, this team, you know, we thought they'd win two rounds in the playoffs. Never playoffs haven't. Had yet so that will help some teams that will hurt some teams i will talk about where i drew the lines but you can convince me on other things and then the only other kind of pre-notes that i want to throw in are for me this is a mix of net rating if you want to add in the context of opponent quality and all that kind of stuff and record and how you've gotten there so 
teams that were more injured, teams that were relying kind of, especially when we get into the low expectations, how you got, how, how your perf- like things are going depends on other factors too. Who's driving your success, who's not driving your success, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And this is, I mean, in many ways, this is the meme, right? This is how it started versus how it's going. Yes, absolutely. So I will let you help get us started. All right. Uh, at the very top, outperforming high expectations. And I only have two teams in this tier. Uh, again, this doesn't mean that these two teams are having the best season. There's a team in the second tier that I think is having is right there with these teams in terms of its, of their performance. Uh, maybe two, to be quite honest. Maybe three. Uh, but of the highest expectations, for me, it's Boston and Denver, where these two teams have the highest preseason win totals. And that's always where me coming from a betting background, I'm going to start. Um, and so that's like my starting place. And then you kind of contextualize it with how we talk about teams. Both Boston and Denver came into the season with such high expectations for you know Boston. This is the best roster they've had. They traded for Drew Holiday. They upgraded the starting unit. They had Chris Tapp's poor Zingas, how good can you possibly be? And like they've been the best team in the league. I don't have them power rated as definitively the, the number one. I have them tied with another team in tier two. Uh, but based off of like strength of schedule, everything else, I don't know how you argue that Boston hasn't been the best team. You can talk about how good some of the other teams have been, especially versus expectation, how they're different. But to me, Boston has been definitively the best team. And then I have Denver uh, based off of the fact that, look, you know, Denver had went through this losing streak without Jamal Murray, but those were mostly road games versus quality opponents. And if we actually take a look at, you know, point differential and adjusted numbers and we look at the overall record here, like Denver's 12 and six with the fourth best net rating. Uh, they were top 10 in defense until they fell off basically based off of the road. This is a team coming off of a championship with a worse roster after losing Bruce Brown. And yet when Denver hits its highest gear, I don't think that there's a better team in the league. If every team were to play their best version of basketball and we could guarantee that you were at your best Denver's best would win out over everybody. Uh, I expected more of a drop off based off of that fatigue and and the the roster issues. And Denver dominated so much out of the gate that I have them and Boston, the Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets as tier one outperforming high expectations. I'm sure some people will be surprised that we both have Denver in this group, considering you know that they're not they're not dominating the league in the way that that they could have. But when you consider the context, that plus roughly four net rating is completely defensible. And they've had a ludicrous, I think it's like a 124 offensive rating when Jokic has been on the floor. So the idea, and that's even with Jamal Murray playing less than we hoped and expected. So part of, for me, high expectations is, are you showing me the things that you need to, to be competitive in those key moments? And, you know, so like, and and for both the Celtics and the Nuggets, they have, and I do worry about how Denver is going to fill the hole that Bruce Brown has created, but they've also, I think their bench has been, especially when, you know, like there, there have been times when their bench has seemed more cogent than it was for the first half of last year at bare minimum. And then for the Celtics, the Celtics I mean, I, mean, they, I yeah, still I have still my have concerns, but roster wise, fit wise, they've answered my question. Yeah. And Denver, you know, I think a lot of this also gets into Reggie Jackson has been so good for them. Um, there, I, I downgrade them significantly because they were going from Bruce Brown in the stagger minutes to Reggie Jackson. But Reggie Jackson's been phenomenal, both in the stagger minutes with Nikola Jokic and when Jamal Murray was out having to fill in and essentially getting that win versus the Clippers. Like Reggie Jackson got them a win outright on the road versus a good Western Conference team. Now it's a team that routinely wets itself, but still that was a really quality win the other night. And you just need a handful of those uh, in order for you to, to edge out various other contenders. You know, do I think that Denver will be here all year? No, and I think Jamal Murray kind of like 
it, it kind of indicates some of the weaknesses that I forecasted with the roster where, you know, if when they start to miss guys, and I will say one of the, the secret uh, of this little stretch, like Aaron Gordon's out right now and Justin Holiday has filled in perfectly. And that was a veteran that they just happened to hit on. They didn't need Peyton Watson to step in and make the, the starting unit work because that's a lot harder because Peyton Watson doesn't have the experience. They didn't need Zignaji to do that because Zignaji doesn't have the skill set or the experience. Justin Holiday's rotates in and has done totally fine. And so all of these kind of reasons, you know, if you look at it, they're projected to win just based off of win la- win loss. They're at 54. Um, I have them, you know, still above 50. And I, again, I want to maintain um, the expectations were high. I think a lot of this is, are they projected to be a top three seed? Yes. Are they going to have a really good chance of repeating as champions? Absolutely. They look like a championship contender um, and they've exceeded my expectations because I thought they would look a little bit worse in the regular season. Yeah, that, that's pretty much why I have them here as well. I would argue in some ways that the outperforming medium expectations group is even more encouraging in the sense that how I define medium expectations, and I'm guessing you ended up somewhere similar, you can use over-unders, you can use whatever, but it's teams that were not expected to be elite that also were at least in the playoff mix. That's kind of how I how I drew the line. There wasn't like a single over-under number, there wasn't a single thing, but it's like teams that we expected to be relevant, but not to be championship contenders. And my group here, and again, this is subject to negotiation, is, um, and there are, again, some of the best stories in the league here, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Sixers, and the Knicks. Ooh, ooh, interesting. Okay. Um, So I've got Sixers, and I've got Wolves, and I've got Thunder, and we can talk about those real briefly. Um, Philly is the team that I was mentioning, like, look, if we're doing tiers, Philly's at the top. Like, Philly's right now has a plus 6.3 schedule adjusted net rating. They're 12 and 5. They've got to win over the Celtics. Like, Joel Embiid is playing the best basketball of his career. Nick Nurse has unlocked stuff with him. As a longtime critic of Joel Embiid, I have loved the way that he has played this year. I think it's phenomenal. It gives them a much better chance in the playoffs. The assist numbers, even if they are juiced by these DHO actions, just his proficiency and using him in that way optimizes him in a way that he was not optimized previously and like that's an area that's not on Joel that's on coaching but it's happening now and now Joel is really and he's making great great reads out of the high post he's still you know hitting from mid-range he's still an absolute scoring monster um the defense I have their sixth and schedule adjusted that's wavered a little bit I have some concerns about Philly's defense I kind of think that there's a possibility they hit some stretches where that falls off, but that's not a criticism of them again, like, or it is, but it's not like a meaningful one where if we look at the at, relative to this, but I think the medium expectations part here comes where everyone was like, man, they're losing hard. And like, what's going to happen? Is Joel going to ask out? Like there was a lot of ways that this season could go sideways. And instead, not only has Maxi stepped up and is the odds on favor to win most improved player, and he should win most improved player if it, the season ended right now, but they've gotten contributions from guys like Nick Batum. The net rating with him on court is insane. Insane. Um, they're getting contribute like Tobias Harris is awesome. There's like so many things that's going on um, that I think is is positive for them. They were expected to be like, okay, look, you know, maybe this isn't the year, but they'll still be pretty good because they have Joel and some pieces. And instead, it's like, no, like they're a contender, and so they're outperforming those medium medium expectations. Um, the Wolves, likewise, were like, everyone was like, yeah, I mean, they'll you know they'll probably be pretty good. And I was very high on them. Like my expectations were high, and they've met my expectations. But relative to, I think, the consensus, them and the Thunder are both like, oh, like these teams are here. You have the elite defense of Minnesota with not 
only a great defensive rating, but a really tough strength of schedule. And then you have OKC's just overall performance with Shea and Chet being two of the best, I don't know, 15 players in the league this season. Um, and Shea's in the top five. I think he's probably third on MVP tier right now. So he, he's been, they've been phenomenal. They're such a great story. Um, you have thoughts on Sixers, Wolves, and Thunder before I grill you on the New York Knicks? <laughs> I, I generally echo everything you said. One of my favorite stats as I was pulling this is that Oklahoma City, this is Queen the Glasses version, they're leading the league in three-point shooting right now in, in terms of percentage. And that is not something that they were doing before, but the you know, benefit of having Chet Holmgren out there. Also, some of their guys are probably outperforming their expectations in that respect. But OKC, the idea that they've, you know, not only have they outperformed their kind of defensive talent level as I saw it the last couple of years, now they've upgraded their defensive talent to an extent. And like they've they've been legit good. And like that's to me, the, those three teams were unquestionable. The Sixers, the Wolves, and the Thunder. Like it, I don't. I think that you could argue that they're the three teams. There are a couple others that we'll discuss that have outperformed their expectations by the most. If we're talking about the pure, sure Delta, the Sixers, it's adding in the context of the uncertainty with Harden, the disaster potential of the year. And I mean, for that, like you can. It, it's so wild to think that you could make an argument that I don't know if you want to use like optimism surrounding the arc of the franchise, but like that the Sixers are the furthest from in, in a positive way from where they were at the start of the year, just because we had so many doubts, so many uncertainties, like, you know, the vultures circling Joel Embiid and all this stuff. Well, you know, you never know what can happen from here, but they've played well enough that it's reasonable to believe that they can keep this moving going forward. That doesn't mean they'll be necessarily the third best team in net rating or anything like that, but that it's not going to fall apart due to failing to meet expectations, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they lost a marquee superstar. They traded him for a package of role players. And the end result is that I take them more seriously than I did before. Yes. And that's that's a huge upgrade. Like, but a lot of this is just like I did I have not taken the Sixers seriously given their history. And a lot of this is nurse, but a lot of it is how Joel has approached it. A lot of it's how Maxi has grown, but a lot of it's just also how they're playing. Like again, to, you know, Tobias Harris, I think, is is excellent. Um our difference here is that um We'll get to the Knicks. I want to hit you with mine. Um, the, the group, my sub for the Knicks here is the Mavericks. Okay, and, that's that's fair. I they they were a team I was torn on with this. Yeah, and so a lot of this is you know you might even say low expectations for Dallas, <laughs> given that they literally ran away from <laughs> the playoffs could. last year. Do what you could. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. So um, so, but I wind up with look. They're twenty fifth in defense. So I get it. And if you dig into their win-loss profile, Dallas projects as a team that can't really hang with the big boys. And, you know, a lot of this is the way that I look at the regular season, which is I have learned that what will get you into the playoffs does not always or into the playoffs as a high seed will not always get you to the conference finals. But also that what will get you to the conference finals won't get you a high enough seed for it to matter. And like that's a lot of this is that... That I keep talking about this with the Lakers as well of, look, would it be better if they could actually beat some teams of the Pulse? Sure, you'd feel better about them. You might start talking about them as contenders. But if the goal is get to the playoffs, hope that Luka slash LeBron and AD can get you there, then you got to beat the bad teams. And the Mavericks have absolutely trounced those teams. Like Dallas projects very poorly when we adjust for schedule, and it projects even worse um, when we start to project for schedule based off of wins losses, like if you take how did you do in the tough wins versus what was your point differential in the easy ones, 
that Delta is very wide and that's a problem. But my expectations for Dallas, I my numbers said that they were going to be really good and I should have trusted those. But I was like, man, I don't know how this like I was on this pod and was like, I don't know how these five team units are going to work and this, that and the other. And basically all that's happened is Luca and Kyrie are going to absolutely cook worlds when they're on court, even if Luca's numbers aren't as good as as normal in terms of impact. Um, and Derek Lively's awesome. Like that was the X factor I didn't see coming was a rookie center really giving them the rim runner that they needed. So I've got Dallas here. Um, I want to know. So I have the Knicks way further down. Um, and it's not me hating. It's that the Knicks are 10 and seven. They're fine. I'm curious why you have them outperforming medium expectations here. Because I'm more interested in their defense. I think that the, I, so for me, they're the, okay. The elements, what you, one of the hilarious things about the Knicks is that they, uh, Nate's talked about this well, they've missed seemingly every shot around the basket so far this year. I expect that to regress to the mean and, you know, they can be competent there, even if they're not going to be great. They've already gotten closer over the last couple weeks. I think that for me, maybe it's, maybe I think it's, the answer here might be that my expectations were lower than yours where mm. them being i mean they're not top 10 in offense right now even if you if you schedule opponent adjusted but they're close and then they've been fifth defensively and this is using dunks and threes and they're not getting like ridiculous opponent shooting luck or anything like that and i worry about their rim protection like that's a weird thing for them to be as bad on as they've been considering the knicks always play centers the thing that tore me on them and i nearly put them in in meeting medium expectations with a large group is the difference between them and a lot of the other competitors. And I, maybe I should have done my test of like, where does like, I, I physically move them into both groups and see which one feels more right. I think I am going to move them down is that the Knicks either as a team or individuals, there's not anybody on the Knicks that I'm, you know, that did what Jalen Brunson did last year, which is like, I'm seeing you in a new way of like, oh, this guy, he's just good. He's just great. And that's, that's the world we live in now. And so for me with the Knicks, like if Julius Randle was having that kind of season, if Quentin Grimes was having that kind of season, they have a lot of guys who had really good years last year and are largely showing or, and are at least partially showing that that wasn't an aberration or was less of an aberration than maybe it could have been. So that's good. But yeah, I'm moving them down to meeting expectation. No, I'll tell you this. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think we should. I actually think you're right. And I'm too low. Because I had the meeting medium expectations, and like, look, this team is uh, is fifth in offense, eleventh in defense, and ten and seven. You know, like I, I think you're probably I think closer on it than than I am based off of like what the expectations were for this team before the season. Like they were expected to be pretty good, and now like they look like a, a legit forty eight win team, and that's good enough for you know maybe four or five in the in the East, and and not necessarily gonna have to travel for a playoff series in the first round. That's really good. Um, you know, Brunson's been. Really Really good. Mitch Robinson, I think, is a DPOY candidate just based off of like the numbers perspective. I I understand his frustration and not getting the ball ever. Um, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do because they keep shopping for these these big trades. I think you're actually kind of right. I think that the expectations for them were, hey, they should be fine, like in the playoff race, but maybe not like a serious team. And they've outperformed that, and they look like a, a better one. Like, I to think an extent, one of the problems you compare them to like Cleveland, and there are there's contextual reason for Cleveland to be kind of thought thought of differently. They've had a lot of weird absences and everything else, but like to me, the Knicks have firmed up their place, whereas Cleveland, like. Mm, 
I don't know that they have. Yeah, I agree with that. I think also, you know, I think a lot of this is, is that when I watch them, they're all over the map. Oh my God. Few, so, team, few teams more all over the map than them. Yeah, like, okay, so they, they, they put up a 95 defensive rating versus Cleveland, and Cleveland's offensively challenged. Great. They put up a 110 defensive rating versus the Bucks, and it's like, oh, these all these great defensive performances. But then you got games like they face Boston, and they give up a 129, but they put up a 115 on a really good defense. Or versus Atlanta, where, like, they give up a 120, and they put up a 120. Like, you look at all the, if you dig into, I'm very interested in this, of looking at the different this is one of the things I love about these exercises is not just and this matches eye test like I'm spouting out numbers here but when I watch them I, I'm some nights I'm like man this Knicks defense is so good like they will just absolutely grind you down and some nights I'm like well the defense sucks tonight but they're absolutely lighting up the scoreboard like it's good that they can adapt but it feels like they never have offense defense at the same time and I don't know if that's good or bad <laughs> I don't I don't know how to evaluate that it's yeah, I don't either it's hard for me to identify what they are yet yeah I I think I think that's very fair. Um, we can move on to outperforming low expectations. For me, this was actually, in some ways, the, one of the cleanest groups to put together. And I will clear, I will say that low expectations for me is teams that were not really expected to be in the playoff mix. And for me, there were three clear teams here. I could be persuaded for a fourth, and that is the Rockets, the Magic, and the Pacers. And yeah. if we're talking about the way that teams have performed relative to expectations, the Rockets and the Magic would be even higher on this. They're both having very good years and we're not expected to be, you know, where they are right now. And then the and then the Pacers, it's more of a Halliburton-centric move here as a team. I don't know that they're, like, dramatically different in terms of their performance than they would be, but Tyrese Halliburton potentially being this kind of guy, like, that moves the, I called it the arc of the franchise, like, that moves them forward. So for me, the Rockets and Magic, like, that to me, I would be surprised if you had them anywhere else. Pacers, I'd be fine with them being somewhere else. Uh, I have those three, and I threw in the Nets here. Oh, that's fair. I had them in medium expectations. I think that, yeah, see, I thought they were, like, not great. You know, like, um, I thought they, that, that the expectations on them were like, yeah, I don't think this is going to be a good, good year. And then they've been okay. They've been pretty good. Um, it's been yeah, really, I, guess, honestly, I, I should put them, I should put them there because so uh, when Nate and I did over-unders, they were 36 and a half and so were the magic. So if I'm going to have the magic there, then that's only fair to have the nets. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, to be fair though, like, you know, the magic are also very clearly outperforming it at, uh, at 13 and five versus the nets who are nine and eight. But I, I do think they're they're outperforming it. I think it's more of like the Magic are way outperforming those low expectations, and the Nets are barely outperforming those low expectations. I think is the best way to kind of put it. Um, you know, Rockets are really interesting. They've lost a couple in a row now. They're down to eight and seven. They've got uh, the tenth best defense and twenty third best offense. Um, I kind of expect that defense to slide a lot. There's a lot of numbers that are like, ooh, this is probably not going to sustain. They got a very favorable schedule early. Um, Houston's, I think, is definitely a team that is closer to 500 than they are um, than they are at, you know, at that top tier like they were for a little bit. And that's okay. Like, they just need to not be terrible. And they're not going to be terrible. Like, Ime Odoka has done the job, and they're, they're going to be not terrible. Indiana's fascinating because, for me, it's about – they're second in offense, 29th in defense, and that pretty much sums it up where yep. I, I love watching them. Their offense is so fun. Their offense is – they're the anti-Knicks in that I know what I'm getting from them every night. With very few exceptions, the offense is absolutely going to cook. But the problem also, is – Also, by the way, if there are people who are listening to this podcast who have league pass who aren't watching the Pacers regularly, do it. They are almost guaranteed to be a fun watch. Like they yeah. are They are one of these I, – I, I've criticized the Raptors for being the opposite of this, which yes. is that almost everyone's going to play their most fun game 
game of the year against the Pacers. Uh, I have this. I, I tweeted this, and I keep doing tap the sign on Twitter of the number one team on league pass is the Pacers, and the number two team is whoever is playing the Pacers. Yes, like it's so much fun. They are so they are so enjoyable. Um, I, I, as somebody that has invested pretty heavily in them, I need them to kick, kick it up like a, a little bit in terms of they keep having letdown games and it's been really annoying to watch where, you know, you can, you could just be the offensive team as long as you're consistent and don't have letdown spots. Like the, but, the Denver, like that's why Denver is so wild because they don't have many of those letdown games. Exactly. Like uh, they don't, they don't lose to the Blazers. Right. You know, and Indiana lost to the Blazers. Like some of these losses, it's like, okay, they lost to the Sixers, they lost to the Celtics, the early season Bulls when the Bulls still believed in, in the spirit, in the, you know, the value of living. Um, but they also, like, they have a loss to Charlotte and they have a loss to Portland. You know, the loss to Toronto, I get. Like, that was a that was a very close game that could have gone either way. Toronto edged them because Toronto's entire job is to spread misery this season. Um but like they lost to Orlando, so you're seeing this pattern of if you can defend at a high level, Indiana can't really get past you, and that's a problem. But as a schedule flattens out, Indiana needs to be like, and honestly, a lot of this is just like, just get out of the bottom five of defense. You don't have to be good; just get out of the bottom five, and you'll make yeah, the I playoffs, mean, and then you can work from there on being actually good. That's the story that sometimes gets lost a little bit with Sacramento last year. It was like Sacramento; it's not like they were a great defense; it's that they were a not terrible defense, and honestly. That was really all they needed. Yeah. They got, and they, they, yeah, I mean, they were technically sixth from the bottom, um, but they also were an unbelievable offense. I mean, so were the Pacers this year. Orlando's going to come back down to earth, and Magic fans don't want to hear that. And I don't want to say it. I love that team. They're, they're the second team on League Pass for me. They're the anti Pacers, where it's like their defense is fun to watch versus the Raptors, where it's obnoxious. Um, you know, their, their role players are really fun. It's all young guys. Paolo's taking a leap. Franz Wagner's one of my favorite guys to watch. There's so much, like, the Magic are seriously fun. They're also probably not 13-5 and five good. The offense is still absolutely wretched. It's not going to get better with Fultz and Wendell Carter Jr. back. A lot of the defensive stuff is, like, based off of um, how incredible Suggs has been. I do think Suggs will continue to be great. Um, but also, like, Goga Pataze is having, like, a, a moment, and that's not going to last. And that's okay. Like, Goga's still pretty good. He's a fine backup center. Um, I think there'll be a playoff team because I, I have looked at the data, and it suggests that if you're a top-five offense or a top-five defense, you make the playoffs. And I think the Magic will continue to be a top-five offense or defense. I think they'll be that good. They'll just slide, like, a little bit, and the offense, I think, is still going to struggle, and that's going to catch up with them over the course of the schedule. But they're still out. Like, we did not expect to be talking about the Magic as, like, man, this team is really fun. Like, there's so much momentum and energy behind them. So they definitely belong in this tier. Yeah, one way of putting this is, so Dunks and Threes does that, like, kind of adjust things a little bit based on who you played and, and a couple other factors, is that they have the, they shift the Magic down to a plus 1.8 differential. Yeah. And if you look at a what a, what is a plus 1.8, that's winning roughly 45 games in a year. And I yeah. think that's the kind of team they are. Yeah, it's great. So, so. And, Oh, and that's phenomenally exceeding their expectations. And so I believe, like you do, that the, the defense is real. And they they will need some degree of health defensively, but they've also already lost Wendell Carter. Now, if it's, you know, it, I've been really impressed with the job that Jamal Mosley has done as well there. And then their offense isn't going to be great, but their offense hasn't been great so far either. It's been fine. It's been better than I expected, but it's not like they're 10th in offense and you're like, oh, they're never going to sustain that. They're I think they're 15th on clean the glass, lower than that on dunks and threes. And so, yeah, I, I think they, and the idea that they're like potentially a top six like team and, and could firm that up at some point, even if we're saying that it's a little bit overstated, like that's a dramatic and massive and notable overperformance off of what we thought. 
Plenty more to discuss, but first a message from FanDuel. Snap into action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, which I love, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 or over and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Meeting high expectations, the best way for me to actually like sub-label this group is I can't put you lower despite my desire to. And so That's, is that for you, Phoenix? It's Phoenix, Milwaukee, and Sacramento. Oh, see, I have I have Milwaukee lower. Yeah, you you I th- I thought you would. Um here here's here's the Bucks thing is seventh in offense, eighteenth in defense. You look at that and you go, look, you're supposed to be a title contender. Are you really there? I like it with being the 18th defense and the eye test for the defense is so much worse, but I'm just like, man, they're 13 and five. And if we're judging this off of, I think an interesting question here is like, okay, outperforming high expectations based off of like a title contender status. Um, Denver, I still have at the top, even though the record is like worse that a game worse than, than Milwaukee's and the profile is, is pretty similar here, right? Where there's Denver, uh, Milwaukee seventh in offense, Denver sixth, uh, Milwaukee's 18th in defense, Denver's 14th, right? So like they're similar. Why is there such a difference? And it's that when Denver has their five, they're starting five on the floor and they are engaged. I expect them to destroy teams. And when Milwaukee is healthy and has their starting five on the floor, I am still like, I don't know about this. And a lot of this is like, I just, I have a lot of concerns about coaching and I'm not the only one there's a lot of Bucks fans, and it's divisive, but I, this is going to be a thing all year of is Adrian Griffin going to be able to pull this off because there's, it started so poorly. It absolutely hit the dirt right off. But when you have so many moves that it, where it's like, and, and the way it's, it's framed is funny because the conversations are, he's listening to his players and that's good. Like, I do think that you need to have open communication with your best players and let them drive the conversation when they're veteran guys like this like that is a positive it would be way worse if adrian griffin did not have a relationship and was not listening and was continuing his bad habits but he would already be fired by now um the problem is i'm just like all of the improvements that they've made have been based off of suggestions from players and how the players have made adjustments to the game plan and their execution that is concerning and but but they're 13 and 5 and I just feel like even though they have a really weak streak of the schedule, they're going to rack up all these wins. And I just I saw them do this last year, too, where I didn't believe them at the end of the year and I didn't believe them in the, in the playoff setting. I was like, there's a lot of reasons why Milwaukee, I don't think, is a little bit fraudulent as a one. And I kind of feel like this is the same kind of deal where they're a half game ahead of Philadelphia right now. Philadelphia is a much better team right now than the Milwaukee Bucks. They are a much better team than the Milwaukee Bucks. But if the, if the expectation is win enough games for you to have home court and be considered at the top 
and then have a chance to put it together to make a title run. I can't remove them. I can't be like, no, the Bucks are not winning a title with this defense. I have to be like, the Bucks are not winning a title if the playoffs started now, but they don't. They start in April. All of that is fair. I'll throw out a couple more things. One, Milwaukee is outperforming their point differential by the most in the league. And that was something they did last year too. We yep. we saw we saw how that can work out. Their transition defense has been so unbelievably bad and indefensibly bad that I don't know how to process it. Like their their opponent time to shot is the worst in the league. Their transition frequency is the worst in the league. And when you look at their personnel, you don't think, oh, that makes sense. Like, they should be able to do this. They're they, and, and also, the other big part for me of why I have them in underperforming is, I agree with you that there is a pathway to them being the team that I hoped and expected them to be. However, I still don't know who their fifth guy is. And no one, to me, has stepped up in a way that says... I'm like that that I'm even like more confident in that player being the being that fifth and I'm less confident preliminarily in Chris Middleton being the fourth. And so that to me, the idea of like, not only have you been worse as a team than I thought you were going to be, but you still need to solve these elements. And like one of the other parts of this and something that gets lost a little bit in the shuffle is I believe Brooke Lopez should be out there in a lot of their best lineups, especially with where kind of the league is overall. But if you get into a series where Brooke Lopez is even you even consider not having him on the floor, they just don't have enough guys. Like, I mean, they need would need Jay Crowder playing out of his mind. They would need Malik Beasley playing out of his mind. And those sorts of things like Beasley and Connaughton and Bobby Portis and all these guys should be like Beauchamp. Beauchamp. Like, like all that for me is a concern. Like the, the awkwardness in some of the chemistry with Dame and Giannis and all that. Like I'm not, I'm not writing that in. That is not why I have them underperforming. It's the other stuff. And as you said, the coaching and the idea that some of this can and will be fixed. I'm not sure all of it will be. And the Bucks don't have the margin for error. Like if, if the threshold is relevant title contender, they're not so good. And this is a criticism I've levied on the Warriors this year. They're not so good that they can mess around and have it and still survive. They're not. I've got the Kings here. I, I will admit, like, I don't know what to do. I have team. them. I have them in meeting medium expectations. I just I just didn't have them quite in high expectation land for me. So a lot of this is the overall numbers from the season say that they are meeting medium expectations. Like I have them projected for 45 wins right now versus a 44 and a half win total line. Like they're right on pace for where they should be. So they should, you know, probably be in meeting medium expectations. But Kings fans will be like, ah, but look at how we've been with Fox without Fox. Like, look at how we've been with Fox on the floor. And I'm kind of like, I don't know, guys, do you really think that Fox is going to continue scoring 30 points per game? Like, is that, do we think that this is who he is? Like, I love De'Aaron. He's amazing. I love watching him play. We just have to be really kind of reasonable about, like, what the ceiling is for, for dudes at his point in his career. The jump that he would have to make would be instantaneous and, and severe. I love, I love watching them. I love the way that they play. They've had, they've had more injuries than last year, which is to be expected. They were the healthiest team in the league last season. So, like, you know, a lot of this is also I don't get moved as much by injuries, but I am making certain allowances here. I don't want to drop them from high expectations because they're in position to still win the division because I do think that they're a better team than the team ahead of them in the Los Angeles Lakers. And so like they've got a really good chance of still winding up with like a top four seed and having another ability like they were one game away from the second round. And if they face that Lakers team, I think things go differently. Um, now, depends on like honestly, the history of teams coming off seven game series is poor, but that's a whole other thing. Sure. Um, the Kings. I think are really good. They're really talented, but the schedule adjustment stuff is is really rough here. Where they're 25th in uh, defensive strength of schedule versus a 22nd ranking, like they're probably going to get worse. Um, ninth 
on offense or not a ninth. Yeah. Ninth on offense. Like that's a little low. Like I kind of expect them to be better offensively, but again, you're going to run into like, yeah, but Fox, the numbers are kind of nuked as we're recording this because they just got completely housed by the Clippers on a back-to-back. Yeah. Uh, on a back-to-back so, where game one was a very different type of game. Where and no Keegan. Yeah. There's all of these types of things. I, I'm, I'm putting them here out of respect for what Sacramento accomplished last year and their vibes. But I have a lot of questions just like with the bucks and the Suns. Um, look, I want to get your thoughts on Phoenix because I don't – how do we – they've played so few games with – the whole structure of the team was we're going to have a – and I don't know why they did this because I was like, don't do that. Just have Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and good role players, and you could be the Sixers this year. But they elected for Bradley Beal, who has not played a game yet or has played two or whatever, is out again. Don't know when he's going to be back. But, like, the numbers under the hood for Phoenix are really good. They're top 10 in net rating. They're 11 and 7. Uh, the strength of schedule has been terrible but they've handled it i don't know how to evaluate phoenix so i'm kind of like all right they're 11 and 7 and they're expected to be really good their record is really good the offense is really good kd and booker are really good i'll put them meeting high expectations but i don't know what to do with phoenix right now i don't know what to do with them either but the most important elements for me that we've actually been able to evaluate so that removes everything beal related he's basically not played are how is booker doing how is Durant doing? How is the defense? And slash the like overall depth. I talked about this with the Bucks of like, do they have the other dude? Booker's doing great. Durant's doing great. So those are the two most important things that we can evaluate. So that that for me, that is enough for them to be meeting expectations. The defense and the like rest of the roster stuff, those are definite concerns for me. I, you know, like I was more skeptical of the Suns as a high level championship contender than I think some were on the idea that I didn't think their defense could get to very good. You know, their, their offense could get to elite. I don't think there's too hard of a sales pitch that they can get there, but the defense, like, I mean, they don't really have that many schemes they can run. They don't have perfect personnel. And like, I'm not as concerned, you know, it's more of a regular season thing about the, like not having another point guard on the roster and like how much they're missing campaign and all that type of stuff, particularly when they were shorthanded but on the overall sense of like the most important things for them to be a contender are looking good the other stuff is shaky but not so shaky that i have lost faith the little faith that i had in the first place so that's pretty much where i have them yeah and like you know look without booker on the floor they're minus 2.6 without kd on the floor they're minus 2.3 and that's kind of like that's about as good as you can expect for this roster is like hey you're losing but not by by a lot yeah, you're not you're not getting killed. I mean, that's the story of Denver last year, you know. Yeah. And and I mean, Phoenix's fundamentals aren't the same as Denver's, but it's the the core conceit is is very similar. Should so it doesn't seem like either of us. Well, oh, I mean, I guess they could be in another category. Where would you define the Clippers' expectation? I have them underperforming high. Okay, I have them in meeting medium, but I was that was when I was torn on. I'll put them in underperforming high. I think that's fair. Yeah. So I just think that like. It's weird that the that the expectations have shifted so much, and I'm just like, guys, this this was the title cont- like this was the t- the preseason title favorite in 2019, 20, and 2000 and, and 2021. And you can talk about like the betting market and whatever. Like that's not a public team. That's the opposite of a public team. Like they were expected to be great, and now we're just kind of like, I mean, hey, they're not completely. You know, it's like, and every time that we start to to reach a point of, hey, this, you know, it's that's what's so annoying about the trade. They had something going. Like, they had it going, and they messed with it because Kawhi and PG told them to. And that's so annoying to me. I'm just like, guys, can everyone just do their jobs? Can the guys that put together rosters put together the rosters and the guys that get all of the money to be awesome players be awesome players? Like, can we just do that? 
Um, Especially when they hear history, at least that we know it, of players being general managers slash advocates is pretty bad. It's poor. And And nobody wants to admit that because we don't want to take away their agency or expertise. And it's like, I'm not saying that the front office shouldn't ask them. The front office should be like, hey, sometimes the offense stalls out. What do you think will fix that? And if they're like, we need a really dynamic point guard. Okay, let the front office evaluate who that needs to be rather than sending Robert Covington, Nick Batum, uh, all of these picks for like, come on. Like, I don't know. I, it's so frustrating. They were so good before. Well, like, they were just they were just good before. Um, the other reason to have them in underperforming high is the idea of, well, what happens from here? And to me, like, if the season continues apace, and even if you want to argue that they, you know, more synergy, more experience, they didn't have a training camp with this group together, then let's say they bump up a little bit from here. And instead of being like their 13th and everything adjusted net rating, let's say they go to ninth for the remainder of the year or eighth or seventh that's still not a team like maybe that's enough to keep pg and Kawhi there because they already chose in some ways to be there in the first place and what do they want other than that like unless one of them wants to go to the sixers like there isn't really a great path forward but this is their best chance to be a title contender to be relevant and they don't look like that to me and a lot of this is there's a couple things who's their best player right that's that needs to be Kawhi Leonard, and it has never been this season. Paul George has been better than him every single game. And you have games like last night where Ty Lue last night is like, well, I think Harden just wanted to remind you guys of who he is. And I'm like, if Harden's your best player, y'all are doomed. You're not getting there. You are not getting home if Harden's the best player. You can't run Harden ball with this roster. You can't do it. You're not going to win. Your defense won't be good enough. Harden's not who he was. You will not get there. They need to find some sort of synthesis of PG, Kawhi, and Harden. Like, Russ going to the bench was predictable. Credit to him for being willing to do it. But, like, those three guys have to find a way to make that combination make each other better. None of those guys are making each other better. Harden's not making PG better. PG's not making Harden better. And Kawhi's just there. And if that's the case, they're not going anywhere, so... Well, and and then the other factor in it is that, in part because of the trades, their collection of complementary players is so much worse than it used to be. Yeah. And... I understand, you know, letting Eric Gordon go to facilitate because that payment would have been hilarious. You know, the the canard, the canard trade and all that type of stuff like they're they're just it's a from four to 15. It is a worse collection of talent than it has been in other years. And that's not the reason they're struggling, but it is a reason to not be to be not optimistic as well yeah. is that they need more from that. And you don't have Nicola Batum anymore. You don't have some of those other guys who can make certain lineups saying who can make certain moments work and they haven't really leaned on you know like oh it'd be interesting to see what they can do with like some of the like you know maybe with pj or some of the other stuff but like i haven't seen enough from that to fundamentally change it so let's go to meeting meeting medium expectations we've already talked about so this is where i have the kings this is where i have the mavericks the two teams we haven't discussed yet the hawks it's so perfect that they're like this team exactly considering what it was last year it's like okay we thought they'd be all right they've been all right good on you yeah i've got them there i've got them here Um, and then and then my other is the pels okay yeah so they're hard to figure out to some extent i'll say this i think that the pels will probably wind up outperforming media expectations if we did this exercise after the next quarter of the season i hope Uh, so yeah yeah we're all we're all hoping for the best for the pelicans if they could just avoid being the pelicans um 
Hawks, I'll say, like, I'm disappointed that they're that they're just okay because I was like, they could be really good if Quinn can get them to defend, and they just can't. They just they just can't well, I mean, do it. And I brought up the Cavs as a foil for the Knicks. The Hawks, I mean, two teams they played in the playoffs recently are another foil where it's like the Knicks are just good and the Hawks are just okay. Yeah, the yeah, that's a that's a really that's a really apt comparison of it. I think. Um, you know, look, a lot of this is, you know, AJ Griffin has been unplayable. That's, that's a tough, tough move for them. Um, the starters are getting absolutely cooked on defense when they're on the floor. Uh, they really need, I don't understand why they're waiting on Okongo. I still don't, I just don't get it. Like I, he's good. Capella's washed. Make the move. Like teams need backup centers. Every team needs a backup center. I know he's expensive, but the money's gonna be gonna be okay. Like, make the move. What what are you waiting for? It's so frustrating to watch this front office kind of like watch the pitches sail by when you have like Trey's numbers are starting to stabilize shooting wise. That's a big development. Like before the loss of the Cavaliers, they were trending up and I would have probably had them like maybe like that's a that one game was enough for me to maybe drop them from outperforming medium to, to meeting, right? Because and again it's funny because that moves them from nine and eight to eight and nine, right? Um and so like, they're just kind of there. Uh, I will say I have two other teams in this meeting medium expectations. Okay. Uh, I have the Heat. Sure. Who are ten and eight, which they're expected to be slightly above five hundred. They're slightly above five hundred. I will say I really like the way that Miami plays, and they've had a relatively they've had a soft schedule. They're twenty third in, in SOS, but they faced a lot of these top teams too. Like their losses are all pretty respectable. The Heat don't have a lot of losses where I'm like that's a bad loss, and that they get that gets them here. I can't put them higher because of there's no, there are so few moments where I'm like, oh, man, this team is awesome. But they're a good watch. Hawkes does bring something different to them, and he's really good. Um, Jimmy hasn't played great this season. I think even some would say pre- played pretty badly. And they're still here because Bam has stepped up. So, like, Tyler got hurt, but they've gotten these other improvements. Jimmy hasn't been great, but Bam has been. They've they've counterbalanced everything to meet medium expectations. They're going to get in the dance, and then we'll see if they can pull it off again. So I think they belong here. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm moving them up. I had the, I had them with a question mark on which which group to put them in. So yeah, that that's completely fair. And like Bam has been really good this year, and uh, you know I, I wonder where Hawkes is going to fit in against against really good teams. And some of their other kind of like oh well maybe this is going to work haven't been as good, but there's still enough here to believe that they have a viable rotation at bare minimum. The next time we're doing tiers, we're going to do how serious teams are because the next team I have to talk about is a good example of this meeting medium expectations the los angeles lakers oh see i had them in high expectations and underperforming that is reasonable as well yeah they're 11 and 8 they're expected to be pretty good you're probably right that with the lakers there's always like a hey they're going to be a title contender they just made the western conference finals i was kind of like hey you know they'll be pretty good we'll see how good they are there's been time i got a lot of of uh crap for a tweet i said where it's match the eye test of them being uh because at one point they were like the fourth best team in the league for me on based on my numbers um and then they got crushed by the sixers a lot of this is like there's a lot of stuff with the lakers i do like like there's a lot of stuff with the lakers that i do think is working uh the fact that they're losing the anthony davis minutes which i've harped on is both a reflection that ad can't lift rosters but also probably a little bit of a noise that will sort out over the course of a season because they'll have enough minutes with lebron and ad for it to be okay um a lot of this though is like look 
if you break down their schedule, here's here's how it here's how it is. They annihilate teams like the Pistons. They lose to anybody with a pulse. That's who they've been. Yeah. They just lose to that, anybody. That's with why a I pulse. have them underperforming high expectations. Yeah. Like, but my problem is like how I evaluate regular season success is largely built off of do you handle business? The Lakers have handled business. Like Detroit last night's a good example of this. Detroit's desperate for a win. They're so desperate. They're so miserable. The Lakers are coming off of a real letdown spot where they got crushed by the Sixers. That's a sneaky letdown spot. And instead, the Lakers housed them, right? Now, there's a little bit of snark in me to be like, oh, good job for you for beating up on the Pistons. But it's like, that's how you build the seed. That's how you build that regular season record. It's not the resume, but it's the record that you can build with that. And so I have to put them at meeting these expectations because they're not under 500. They are three games over. They are 13th in, in defense, 19th in offense. So they're not bad in any discernible category. They've had all the injury issues, which we'll see. I'm not optimistic those are going to improve because the big two haven't missed a significant time. But I'm, I just think the Lakers are are they're, they're where they have to be. Not where they should be, maybe, but where they have to be. It's a tough call. And like I, I for me, once I decided that they had high expectations in part because of the um like the conference finals last year and everything else. And there will be another team that's an underperforming high expectations where the argument could be, oh, their over under wasn't as high as some of the other teams, but there there are contextual reasons for that. So yeah, I, I think that's reasonable and the idea that the Lakers can be better than they've been is one hundred percent fair. Just briefly, um meeting low expectations, one funny thing to remember, when Nate and I did over unders, the Raptors had the fourth lowest over under in the East. Yeah. And so you could kind of argue outperforming low expectations, but especially when you factor in like the the organizational stuff and some of the weird ups and downs of Scotty Barnes. Like his ups have been much better than I expected, but some of the downs and just like how horrendous certain lineup configurations for them have been. So I, I think meeting low expectations for them is fair. And I, I just want to open the floor to you. Are the Wizards meeting low expectations just because they're exactly the brand of bad that I thought they were going to be? Oh, that's that's a good question. Yeah, because like this is this is the hard one, right? Where it's like, how do you really evaluate low expectations and how much worse you are? You know, like we thought the Wizards would be awful, especially based off of their preseason expectations, and they're three and fifteen. Um, I have them underperforming low expectations, and the reason is essentially it's like look they got some guys right jordan Poole was a key contributor to a title team we could debate all we want about like this that or the other he was instrumental in them the way that they handled the nuggets in five games they probably won that series anyway even if if pool is thanos snapped but they but he played and they played well and he had moments and he had moments in the finals um, and yet he has been categorically not just bad a laughing stock jordan Poole is a joke now um you know, they've got some guys. Like Daniel Gafford is actually playing pretty well. Yes. There's actually some good numbers with him on the court with Kuzma. Tyus Jones was brought in. Everyone loved Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones is one of the worst net ratings in the league. Like, they are getting killed by but a guy was... who has defined his career by being a low production, high impact level of player. So, to me, I, they have to be in perf- underperforming low expectations because it's that, again, we're talking about memes. It's my expectations for you were low, but holy fuck. Like, that's yeah. how it well, is. Well, so here's the other reason I moved them down just now is the uh, part of what Winger and the group was doing was trying to arbitrage rehab value. Yep. And those values are not rehabbed right now. Like, no. that is that is not what has happened so far. You know, like, Poole and Tyus Jones in particular, I'm not saying they're 
you know, like Tyus Jones in particular, that he's like a toxic asset or anything like that. But the idea that you would have him around for six months and whether you decided to make him your starter of the future and he wanted that or you traded him to somewhere else where they would use his bird rights to do that. I don't think anybody's super jazzed about trading for Tyus Jones right now. I agree with you on Gafford. And then like, I've enjoyed Bilal Koulibaly. I, he, he hasn't though, like he, to me, like, oh, like this is the dude, like that, that right. sort of thing. So I think he's been, he's been fine. So yeah, I moved them, I moved them down. So I actually only have one team in meeting low expectations and that's the wraps. We'll move a little more quickly because I think in some ways underperforming is, it's easier um, to, to like be like, okay, so underperforming high, we've already talked about the Lakers, the Clippers and the Bucks for me. So the other team here is the Golden State Warriors. Yep. The Warriors, their, their over under wasn't ridiculous. 48 and a half is like, you know, that's, it's, it was actually, I guess that was second highest in the West because the West was all jumbled or third highest behind the Suns and the, and the Nuggets. But when you consider they won the title in 22 and everything else, and Curry has generally been really good this year, but almost every single other person has been worse. And that is a huge problem for them. Even before we get into the health issues that are coming in now, the idea that most of their team has been below and to some degree, like with Clay, to the point where I don't know where the equilibrium is anymore. On That's a big problem. Yeah. Uh, I shared this this stat on Twitter. It's my favorite. I just wrote an article on the the Warriors. I moved them. I'm doing DEFCON watch, and I moved them from it goes from five being everything is great to one is nuclear war is imminent. I moved the Warriors to three, and the only reason that they're not two is because they won four titles. That's it. If this was any other team, if we take the the past history, if we just deal with like the expectations for this year and what this team looks like, they're a definite two. As in, like you hold on to your butts. Um, well, and and here's another point with it is, that I, I think part of what ownership was doing this year is just well, well, how good are we? And yeah. evaluating now, they do have big financial commitments to Curry and Draymond Green, and to a lesser extent, Andrew Wiggins, because you could you could even if Wiggins is having a worse year than expectations, you could move his contract no problem. And is you know is it worth it and so far the answer seems to be no not really the stat was crazy to me is that there have been staff is shooting 12 threes a game there have been three other seasons where a player has shot 12 threes a game um harden did it twice curry did it once in 2021 um harden never got above 37 percent on those threes uh curry predictably had 42 percent in 2021 he's at 44 on 12 threes a game that's like this is an insane stat now here's the crazier one with him hitting 44 percent on 12 threes a game they're minus nine raw in his minutes Oof. they have lost the steph curry minutes by nine points not per 100 but overall like that's not it's better but it's still that you if steph is, hit, is hitting 44 percent on 12 threes a game and you are losing the minutes you should absolutely be looking for the panic button that is nightmarish what's been fascinating is like dunks and threes has them with a 10th best net rating so they should be better i don't have cleaning the glass up right now so i don't know what their pythagorean is um they have the fourth toughest overall schedule fifth toughest offense seven toughest defense so i went back last night and i was like all right what does the win profile look like here's the problem Early in the season, they caught teams that were figuring themselves out and they got wins versus those teams. And that's like those still count as far as the overall record. But the problem is, is that as things have stabilized, they have gotten so much worse and they they have gotten found out. And that's a huge problem. They got they they won early in the season. They got two wins versus the Kings. They got they've rattled off two wins versus the Rockets, one early, one late. And they caught OKC on November 3rd. And then since November 3rd, it has been an absolute nightmare for them in terms of trying to beat anybody with a pulse. So this is one of the interesting questions with SOS, which is, okay, if your SOS is tough, 
but you don't win any of those games, does it matter? Like, you'll probably play weaker teams. So maybe the Warriors will start to beat these worst teams and move into that tier with the uh, with the Lakers, right? Of like, hey, the, the Lakers aren't serious, but they beat those other teams, and so they meet those expectations. But the problem is just like, like you mentioned, when you get under the hood and you're like, the, the big thing for me is they're not winning Draymond stuff. If they were just losing all of the other minutes... Like okay. kind of like the Nuggets last year. Like if you're if if the most important stuff is going well, you you feel like the other things will shake themselves out. All of it's going poorly. Yeah, all of it is going poorly. And um, part of that too is like, look, Wiggins has played better over the last week, and I think he's probably improving, and like that might stabilize, and that helps a lot, even though they're still losing those minutes. Um, and with Draymond and Steph in 42 minutes, they still have a plus uh, 20 net rating without uh, Wiggins. So it really just has been the Wiggins minutes, right? Like that's really promising. It's like, okay, so if they're winning those minutes, that means that that, that combo is not broken. You can still win these minutes. Um, but there's all of these little slides that are kind of indicative of some of the problems that they're facing. And even if they get it together, the clay thing is getting very loud. And you're seeing Bay Area media write about it. They just lost Gary Payton the second for an indefinite amount of time. They have been held up in large part by Gary Payton the second and Chris Paul's minutes. And Chris has got a nerve injury. Like there's more pressure on a starting unit that has struggled. If Wiggins does not stabilize immediately, things are going to get worse. And if it spirals, I don't know how they avoid talking about the, the, the possibility of a clay trade. And none of us know what happens if they if they take apart that the Splash Brothers. If the core goes apart, how does that team respond? Respond. Like, we just don't know. I, I think Steph will be fine because Steph is still amazing. But boy, and then on the final part of this is just when Draymond was talking in preseason and was, was really running his mouth about pool. And I get it. And look, he looks like a genius with how Jordan has looked in, in Washington. But to me, it was like, why are you this fired up? Like, why you're a veteran now? Like, you've won four titles. And it just feels like and then we have the suspension for the the wolves incident. Kenny Smith was talking about how if you're just if you're apologizing constantly at this point in this career, the apologies don't mean anything. I don't know what's up with Draymond, but he is not more in control than he was. And I don't know if they can sustain and survive his volatility because they don't have Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, and the kind of support that they did. They're not as good. And I don't know what that means if Draymond's going to keep having these incidents. That's a boring conversation in terms of how long we've talked about can they afford Draymond they've won four titles. But all of this combined is why I'm very worried about the Warriors. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons to be worried. Um, I'll move to underperforming medium. The only reason that these teams are here, not because they're they're underperforming, it's just they have medium expectations. The Grizzlies are complicated because I think we all expected them to struggle in this part of the season, but they've been worse, like way worse. The Bulls seemingly like, I mean, many of us saw this ahead of time, but they've been a version of a catastrophe. And then I didn't know where to put the Cavs. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I got the Cavs here. Um, you know, look, they, they they were missing Garland and Allen. And if Garland and Allen had come back and they just like rattled off a bunch of wins and looked right back to where they were, I would be very receptive to talking about them as like meeting expectations given their injury situation. So like, I get it. I do. But, you know, and again, this is another one where it's like they're 10 and 8 and they are 8th in net, net rating and they're 15th in offense and 4th in defense. The defense is still elite. So maybe I'm under I'm, I'm underselling them here, but... I really thought that this team might jump out and be the Sixers this year. I thought this was going to be the year where like, and it's funny because it's like, they might be the Sixers who are a whole two games ahead of them. That's it. But Cleveland to me has not been 
I have not been encouraged by them. I'm just like, it's fine. And then the reason they're behind is I like, I really thought that they would be on track to be not an elite team because I have them in medium expectations. Um, but they wouldn't look as shaky. And the other problem is just like, they needed to get off to such a great start for them to quiet down the Donovan Mitchell talk. You needed it to be like, everyone's talking about Donovan Mitchell. We're just here winning games. We're just doing our thing and we're going to be a, a force in the Eastern uh, another Conference. Another parallel with the Sixers. Yeah. And instead it's like, nope, everybody's still like, yeah, okay, the Cavs are fine, but how long is Donovan going to be there? And are they going to trade him at the deadline and all these types of things? Um, Grizzlies were my biggest miss. Like, I'll just totally own up to it. Um, one is that if you had told me that Steven Adams was going to be out, I would never have projected them as highly as I did. I would have moved them down. I wouldn't have moved them this low. That's where I missed is that I should have looked at this roster and gone, if Steven Adams misses time, what happens? And I should have gone, oh, they're going to be horrible because they don't have any bigs because Brandon Clark is on the shelf, too. And X isn't good enough to hold them up. And they've had, the, you know, X has missed time, too. But it's just like Jaron has not covered. Jaron's worse than last year. Desmond's better. Desmond's the only player that's better than last year. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Uh, I If this team was so dependent on Steven Adams, and they were, like, I'll maintain that if Steven Adams is there, this isn't happening. But I needed to recognize that if Steven Adams is, if you told me Steven Adams is gone, does it get bad? I've been like, yeah, then you should not have had them as high as you did because they, they cannot be that dependent on Steven Adams at this point in his career. You just can't be. Um, they're, they are the most underperforming team relative to my expectations. And they're the most underperforming team, I think, relative to the high point of expectations, even with Jaw being out. Uh, Jaw doesn't fix what's wrong with them. So no. uh, if we did this based off of the Delta, the Grizzlies would be would be dead last for me. Same. They would be for me. I mean, I... I didn't pick their over. Be, I knew I knew about Jaw. I didn't know about Stephen Adams, but I probably still would have. And it the and for me, it's also like you talked about the defense and and the impact of Stephen Adams. I mean, he also has an impact offensively. Yeah, but just that they haven't had a pulse on that end so much of the season is yeah. deeply depressing. I thought I thought they were going to be able to weather more storms than they have. I don't think we need to dwell on the Bulls. And then for underperforming low expectations, like there are ways that you could construct a season where this group would be small. You could think about like, oh, teams are bad, but we thought they'd be bad. But underperforming low expectations is actually a really dangerous place to be because yeah. this is like existential panic. We're bad and things aren't getting better. And I think like, to me, the quintessential team there is the Pistons. We're like, yeah. I knew the Pistons were going to suck. I, I was very confident that their under was one of my one of my favorite bets on the board. I just thought that they weren't, they weren't going to be that good. And yes, they've missed Bogdanovich and a few other guys. Holy crap, have they been terrible. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, it is frightening how bad they are. I will say this. Um, one of the reasons I'm not like, and I understand why Pistons fans are so miserable, but I am kind of like, look, if you're going to change a team's culture and identity, it's going to take a, a full year. And Monty is going to, it's going to take the full year. And last night he threw them under the bus, but then he also took responsibility and said, it's on me. Um, that coaching hire was really fascinating because, you know, he didn't want to take it, but they offered so much. Is that really what you want? But at the same time, <laughs> it's like, but at the same time, it's like, look, isn't this the guy that you want to try and change things? Um, Bojan will get back and everybody's like, he's no, is Bojan Bogdanovic going to change things? And it's like, look, it might change him from being a 0% win chance to a 5% win chance, a 10% win chance. And like, Asar has been great, but I still have questions about Cade and, and so many other things. And then the only team that's been worse than the Pistons so far is the Spurs. Spurs. And they've just been, I, I think sometimes because they're, you know, like they're not getting too much on national TV. They also had some competitive national because they think that Warriors game was, they've been abysmal. Yeah. 
And, you know, when Yama doesn't lift him up, and that's not to be expected. You shouldn't expect a, a very raw kid with that skill set to lift you up. But they've made decisions with the roster construction that I thought were questionable. Um, this is a year to figure out who's going to stay and who's going to go. And I will say that some of the guys that they've said that they need to keep, I don't necessarily know that they need to keep. Um, they need to figure out a whole new way to configure around the team. Um, this, this, uh, honestly, this group is pretty, pretty fat for me. I will tell you like, okay, I've got Pistons, Spurs, Bulls, Jazz. Jazz has been really a bummer. Hornets, Wizards, Blazers in this group. Uh, Charlotte, who I got talked into everyone telling me they were going to be pretty decent is not, they're not good. Nope. They're um, terrible. I, I, I was, I was there. I was like, oh, they're not going to be as bad as they were last year. And they, it, and you know, Miles Bridges has elevated certain parts of it, but they're just bad. Like they're just, just a bad, bad team. Um, the one I think is interesting actually here is so Portland's net ratings are terrible because they get when they get beat, they get destroyed. And, you know, we want to focus more on the underlying metrics than we do the record like Portland's 30th in offense and 21st in defense. I actually kind of think that the offense has more room to improve. Absolutely. And so at five and 12, they're, I'm, I'm willing to put them under here because they're on pace for 24 wins, which is absolutely wretched with the, again, they are 28th in net rating. But the last two weeks or so, I think Portland is trending more to meeting low expectations than underperforming. I, I wholeheartedly agree, and it's not a surprise that when they had like all of their guys who could handle the ball out, that they struggle. And the as the sample shifts and becomes more inclusive, I think they're going to become either like a more run-of-the-mill upper-end bad team, or maybe even like a lower and medium team. And you can argue, and I would, that even in this year that generally the draft is not super highly regarded, I can't speak to it myself, that it's a good thing for them overall. Like, like logging these losses will help put them in the place that they need to be, make sure that they move grants and everything else. But the other part of it for me with, with Portland that just I'm going to have to reconcile over a larger sample is who of the people who actually matter organizationally is are better and worse than expectations. And like, I think for me, Aiton has been worse. Sharp has been better while put in a weird role. TBD on Scoot. And I mean, there are guys like Tamani Kamara. Like Tamani Kamara's having an awesome year. But yeah. is he going to be like a starter on, this, on the Blazers for the next five years? For their sake, I hope not. Like, and yeah. that, that's not meant to shame Tamani Kamara, who I think has done really well. And so for me, the idea of, Part of it is, why are you succeeding and why are you failing? And part of it was they had some un- unwinnable situations out there. But part of it is, like, I want to see more from those dudes and, like, Robert Williams missing the whole year and who knows beyond that. Like, that's... that's A, a good way to evaluate this group is um, you, your expectations were very low and how close, how likely is it that these coaches get fired? That, to me, is, like, because that's what you change when things are really bad. Um, and the Pistons, like, there's no way because of the money. It would have to be, like, Monty's just literally like, I don't want to do this. I'm out. No, I mean, for um, them, it's Weaver. Right. And then, like, Spurs is a different situation because it's pop. That's, like, a different – That's a that exists in its own world. But, like, Bulls, Billy Donovan's going to get fired. That's pretty obvious. Or or be gone at the end of the year. Uh, Jazz, Will Hardy's not going to go anywhere because their expectations are still really low and they've taken a step back. Um, so that's a little bit of a different one, but like I definitely think that they've underperformed. Um, the Hornets, like I don't think anybody's like, man, Steve Clifford's a guy. Uh, as much as I love Cliff, I think Cliff's great. Wes Unsell Jr., I expect to be gone by the end of the year. Uh, and See, then, I don't think he's going to be gone before the end of the year because I think they want him to take these losses. Yeah, and then uh, Portland is a really good example. Like we just debated Portland, are they meeting or under? Like that's going to determine whether or not Chauncey Billups keeps his job. Sure. Like that's a that's a really good way to evaluate this. Where um, 
And what's fascinating is you can't go to the top of this list with Boston and Denver and say, are these the coaches of the year? You would not say that. Like Michael Malone and Joe Mazzula are not going to win coach of the year. It's those teams that are outperforming medium that have the best chance of their, their coach winning coach or of the year. Or outperforming low in certain low. cases. Low, yeah, right. But yeah, I think it's great. This has, as always, been a fun, challenging, exciting exercise. And thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at the Action Network. You can listen to him on Locked on NBA often on Lockdown Nuggets as well, and does excellent work all over. If you follow him on social media, you can check out his other appearances, and he does excellent work. I truly love having him on Real GM Radio as well. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can subscribe, download every episode in whatever podcast player you choose, and if Real GM Radio is not on a podcast player that you use, please let me know, and I can run that at the flagpole. I'm not the one who can solve that, but I can pass it to people who can. And you could also help other people find the show by leaving a rating and review in that aforementioned podcast player or spreading the word, social media, word of mouth, all that greatly appreciated. This podcast has been around a long time, but there are still people finding it for the first time, and I deeply appreciate that as well. The most important thing you can do for Real GM Radio and any other podcast that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Talked about that more at length during the episode. Hopefully you listen to that in full. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime, full bore right now, lots going on. We're actually going to do awards for the first time over the weekend, which I'm pretty excited about already starting the prep, though. The early season ones, you kind of want to wait as long to do the prep because the sample size is so much smaller. Then written work at The Athletic, then also doing live game calls for the NBA on the NBA strategy stream, which is typically Mondays, but will actually be Wednesday this coming week due to the NBA Cup. And playback whenever we kind of have a spare moment. We call it NBA Ricochet. You should be able to see that on social media as well. We also do have a calendar there. I think you can find that through Nate's stuff where we try to put in episodes. I believe that's mostly League Pass, but we try to put in Ricochets if we know they're coming ahead of time. We'll be doing those for the at least some of the quarterfinals of the NBA Cup. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'm not the greatest at replying. That's why I consider it feedback more than anything else, but can be a guest you like or a guest you want to on or any number of other things. I get them frequently, and I appreciate them every time. And that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. 